Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. Today, I'll be talking with Evelyn Candell, an artist and teacher for much of her life, who is now a distinguished poet laureate. But this was an unusual evolution to the second half of life. Indeed, it's not often that someone can recite the verses of Walt Whitman, then belt out the motto of the U.S. Marine Corps, Semper Fi, always faithful. But that's Evelyn, who enlisted in the Marines 70 years ago, right out of high school, on the advice of an aunt who told her, why not join the armed services and see the world? In today's conversation, Evelyn talks about how she became one of the few, the proud, actually very few women Marines during the Korean War. She'll tell you what it was like to be one of those pioneering women as she worked in public relations and recruiting, traveling across the West Coast to speak to young college women about officer training. Afterward, Evelyn went to college on the GI Bill and continued to pursue her passion in painting and teaching. Her work is in many private collections and she has been widely exhibited in the New York metropolitan area. Evelyn will talk about how she evolved as an artist, expanding on how she she views her painting and poetry and how she finds inspiration and joy in her work and talk about her philosophy of teaching aspiring adult poets. One of her workshops is called Plain Talk About Poetry. And of course, Evelyn, who is the current poet laureate for Nassau County in New York, will recite some of her poems from her four published books and anthologies, reflecting on various periods of her life from her early years to today, as she continues to combine poetry with her proud association with the Marine Corps. So now let's meet our guest, Evelyn Candell. Evelyn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ron. So, Evelyn, uh, I was thinking about you the other day, and I was thinking, you have quite an arc. And I think about you, you know, over the last few months is sort of what I call the trifecta. So starting in March, National Women's Month, April, National Poetry Month, and May is National Older Americans Month, ending, of course, with Memorial Day in sort of honor of our veterans. So you are the trifecta, and I like the fact that it's called the Older Americans Month rather than the Old American Months right. for people like me, so that someone who is 20 is older than 10, so it's very inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So before we talk about your second half of life going forward, let's do a little backstory. Your, your first half, of course, informs your second half. So tell Tell us a little bit more about the story about how you became Marine um, and that famous advice your your aunt gave you. Right. Well, um, I grew up mainly in Yonkers uh, in Westchester County in New York. And um, I was an average kid. Um, I was not precocious in any way whatsoever. Um, My mother, unfortunately, died when I was only eight. And that started, uh, we had no family here. My mother had been from England, my dad from Scotland. No aunts or uncles or cousins. And um, it was difficult for him. He was a house painter. And um, he was painting uh, someone's, the outside of someone's house in um, Pleasantville, New York, which is a very pleasant little <laughs> town. And um, I, of course, was with him. 
And um, so I was kind of running around their backyard and the Kay, who was the mother, uh, came out and chatted with me. And uh, she had two boys and I think she kind of liked the idea of maybe having a little girl. And so what happened, I wound up um, living with them uh, Mm. until my father remarried when I was about 13. And um, when I graduated from high school, uh, there was no money for college or art school, which I was very, very interested Mm-hmm. I was quite an artist. Um, and I went back. Um, I got a job in a newspaper office, filing and doing really exciting things, and uh, lived with the Martins. And uh, one day, Kay said to me, I was really bored. It was a boring job going nowhere. And she said, well, you know what I would do if I was a young? I would join the service and see the world. Well, in 1950s, that was not the thing that young girls did. Hmm. Generally, they got had a job and then got married as soon as they could. So, right. But it appealed to me. I said, oh, yeah, great. So two, two of my friends, um, they were um, had joined the Marines when we graduated. And I said, well, I'll join the Marines. Hmm. And so... That's what I did. I went <laughs> off and I was 18 years old and I joined the Marines. Yeah. And um, shocking everybody, including my father. And um, I um, went to boot camp, boot camp for the Marines, women or men. And there were very, you know, 1950s Korean War. Um, there were not a lot of women in the services. Right. And Marines being the smallest service anyway, the number of women was very small. Right. right. But uh, they treated us as nastily as they did the men. <laughs> they kept you moving from the crack of dawn until late at night and uh, told you frequently what uh, an idiot you were and that they didn't think they'd be able to save you and turn you into a Marine. <laughs> but after eight weeks, they imagined, they did the impossible. And uh, and so um, I was a Marine. Right. So it's good to know that they treated you as nastily as the men. Okay, exactly. there's parity for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, right. Right. And, and then you, but you did, you know, um, uh, by the way, before I go on, I, I wanted to mention to people, if, if you go on to my website, robotresources.com, um, and click on the 45 forward tab, you can see uh, the episode for uh, Evelyn. And there are some pictures you might want to see of her in during her Marine days, um, including, um, I guess there's a poster. You, you, you pose, mm-hmm. pose for a poster? A poster that was in Times Square. Mm. And, um, and on a stamp, there were the four women uh, four women in the four services, and mm-hmm. we were on a staff that had to go all the way up to be okayed by the president before wow. they actually ran it off, a three-cent stamp. So wow. I do have the first issue. That's kind of exciting. Great. Um, a great deal of my time in the service, <laughs> I think it's taken me 70 years to realize, my God, I can't believe I did that. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, we'll get back to a little bit more about that later. But then mm-hmm. just before we uh, move on. Um, so you went to the West Coast. You know, you were a recruiter, basically. I was. I was an aide to a woman lieutenant and I was her driver. And we drove throughout California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada and Idaho. 
and we visited uh, colleges and we were recruiting for women for um, officer training. And it was very, it was great fun. Um, wrote home saying, you can't believe the amount of room there is out here with nothing in it. Um, uh, but it was wonderful going to the different um, uh, colleges. We set up our table on the quad. Um, you had asked me at one point, you know, what was the reaction? Right. And, you know, to be honest, I can't really remember, but I think they were unsure because mm-hmm. as I say, it kind of was an odd, odd thing to be, you know, had we been sitting there and advertising, you know, working in an office or something like that, we would have probably got a, a lot of response. But to say, would you like to join the Marines? Um, <clears throat> we got a lot of attention. Right. <laughs> but to be honest, I and a lot from the young college boys who had lots of inappropriate things to say to us as we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know how many, I, I don't have a follow through right. as to how many might have joined because of us, but um, we were two young, attractive women in uniform and we may have, we may have um, gained some. Right. Right. I know they, they treated you pretty much, uh, equally as they could, although they had a, a term you mentioned to me, which was uh, <laughs> a BAM. Well, exactly, a BAM. We were BAMs, according to uh, male Marines. And I was, just to clarify, I was 5'8 and weighed 120 pounds. So the that um, little uh, name exactly. didn't yeah. really apply because it's broad S Marine. Right. Uh, it would apply now. But it didn't <laughs> I think that would apply to a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It so was, okay. yeah, I, yeah. yeah we, we will go on if you want, but yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. well, it, it was, was exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was wartime uh, when I was in San Francisco. That's where um, soldiers were coming back from Korea uh, to, and a lot of them were wounded, and I met many and um that brought brought home um the war which was not pleasant right right. for me um other than that it didn't touch me because women did not go to war zones in those days in the 50s right 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 well then you came back and and then you um you mentioned me that you went on the the gi bill which was something that you felt was really quite greatest gift ever given Really, it it was a, a a life changer. Really, yes. I went to Columbia, mm-hmm. and um, I went to a program that they had a very early um, adult college, mm-hmm. and um, which fitted in for people who had to be working, were older, and so on. But it was a degree uh, program, and um, it, it just was amazing. Um, you know, um, having a, a famous uh, poet. Um, um, as a teacher, um, taking anthropology, anthropology, Margaret Mead was my teacher. Wow. I mean, it was just incredible. Uh, top people teaching these courses. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a game changer for me. Right, right. And so I know that you you did, you know, go on and, and you got married. And there, so there was an interlude when you were, you know, 
taking care of a family. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Um, but then you decided, well, you you still and you still were painting. Mm-hmm. Um, that yes. was your first love, right? Painting. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I um, <clears throat> I was very serious about it, and um, I uh, showed my work, um, sold some of my work, which mm-hmm. was nice, um, and. Um, um, I began actually to do some uh, classes privately. I taught a kindergarten class mm-hmm. and I taught a small group of women um, mm-hmm. painting. And I realized that I really liked teaching. And um, so I did wind up going back to school. Um, I had, well, I had to just briefly fill in that um, my first husband died of mm-hmm. cancer. He was in his early 30s, and I was less the widow with a child. And um, so they were offering a summer program on the island um, of, um, I think it was like three summers, you'd get enough of for your uh, master's degree right. in education. So I did take that, you know, it, Again, sometimes I think back, I, I really can't believe I did those things. Mm. My husband was dying in the hospital and I was in class um, and going back and forth and, and finding sitters for my infant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did pass that. And, um, and I did. And, and um, Ken died during the summer. And I um, started to teach. And Ken had been working for... Uh, two brothers who owned a company making underwater diving equipment. Wow. And um, they were wonderful. They were wonderful to me. Uh, They knew he wasn't going to survive and that they were paying his salary. Um, And um, Bob, one of the brothers, uh, was very helpful. And um, that help turned into something more serious. And I have been married to Bob for 60 years now. So, um, Great story. Yeah. Yeah. so uh, there I was, and he, at that point, I was teaching second grade, and he, he said, don't forget it, do not do that. But um, so I waited, I waited a long time, to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. now that I think about it. I think it was, I went back to school. Mm-hmm. I thought, I really want to teach. And so I went back to school. I had enough education credits so that what I had to take, uh, I had my undergraduate degree, the education. So I went back for the two semesters and took all the art credits that I need in order to teach. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did. I, um, um, I actually worked in a private school in, um, in, um, in, here in the island, right. mm-hmm. Portage School. Right. And... Um, I got that job. I was 54 years old when I got that job. And looking back now, I'm thinking, I can't believe they hired me. That's kind of getting to when people are retiring and I'm walking in. So I taught for almost uh, 15 years and uh, until I did retire. And it was perfect. I love teaching. I still love teaching. I'm still teaching, actually. Right. um, Adults. And... um, and you it continued. Yes. Yeah, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, in, a, in an interesting out of way, you know, when you were te- teaching at Portage, it was uh, a little bit you felt in a, in a kind of a unique way like the Marines and that you were, you, you fit, 
you, you know, yes. you, you were one of the few, the proud in the, in a job that really fit. Exactly. Exactly. At one point I was standing at the sink, uh, cleaning brushes, which is not a glamorous job. And I said, I love this job. I love this job. First of all, private school, you didn't get people telling you, you must do it this way. This is the way you have to do it. And I was very creative, had the greatest time. And when I go back to visit, it is so, so nice to have somebody said, you are the best art teacher we had. You know, it was really great. It did weird things, actually. But um, uh, I I had to get used to, um, can I have tell you one little story. Sure. Of, we, have no, we have enough time for one story before our break, but go ahead. Let's. Okay. Uh, this was the first, the first class with the junior high middle schoolers mm-hmm. and middle school is a dreadful age group. And <laughs> so they walked into the classroom and they sat down at the tables and I proceeded to start to say, welcome. And, to, and they were talking and I said, okay, now settle down. And they were talking and I said, excuse me, and they were talking. So I just walked out of the classroom into my office and I sat down and they were talking. And then I hear, where'd she go? I don't know. She went to her office. What is she doing? I don't know. Suddenly it got really quiet. Then I came out. Okay, you ready to start now? <laughs> so I learned that's how you took out middle schoolers. Right, right, yeah. Right, well, without having a heart attack yourself. Yeah, well, I think sometimes there's there are important lessons that it can apply to any part of life by by going into the, the into the into the uh, the valley of <laughs> trials, which is middle school. Yes, I remember which that. Which is middle me. school. Well, for me as well, and it's just it's it's all of us go through it. All of us have been through it. Right, not only teaching, right. But uh, I'm glad that you were there for them. So. Right. Um, uh, so we're going to go on. Uh, so next, uh, we're going to go on a little bit about your transition um, to, um, you know, from painting and uh, your particular style of painting to uh, poetry and how you made that transition. But right. I'm going to save that for after the break because okay. that's going to be a longer story. So, okay. folks, we're going to take a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back with Evelyn Candell, a poet laureate, with much more about how she became a poet. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in.
You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, where we're listening to Evelyn Candell, a poet laureate. Uh, and just before the break, we were talking to Evelyn about, you know, how her pre-poetry life and of painting and how she made that transition. So that's where we're picking up the story. Evelyn, so tell us, what was that, as they say these days, inflection point where you... Uh- Okay. Uh, well, what was interesting was um, working uh, working at Portledge, uh, which was a private school. Of course, we got a lot of mail from various colleges um, to get uh, you know to get some of our students to mm-hmm. go to their school. So Skidmore College, something came over my desk about offering a fellowship to an art the art teachers um, to go to Skidmore um, free uh, for. Actually, you could go for a month. You could go the whole summer, actually. But being married, and uh, my husband was a little bit reluctant to let me go for the whole summer. But anyway, while what had happened, I and I went back for another ten years each summer. Uh, having that much time, you know, in at nine o'clock in the morning and out at four in the afternoon, you start to produce a lot of work. Yeah. So I started doing some different um, things. I started doing little three-dimensional artist books. And so I began to write um, just in the beginning a little phrase or something in the artwork. And soon I was at, you know, a work table covered with nice white clean paper. I started to write on the paper. And so what started as just a little phrase began to become a poem. And that was kind of the beginning when, um, I mean, I had always, excuse me, enjoyed writing and um, had done a little um, poetry at Columbia, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. But then I really started being very serious at, at poetry and started to segue away from artwork into poetry mm-hmm. and um and right. that by the time i um left retired um from the job i was very immersed um in the poetry uh world in right. uh, on long island right right now one of the things that um, i'm sure um people always uh, ask you about is uh, basically inspiration you know how do you get inspired to write? You know, uh, are there ways that you you know you've learned to write to be inspired to you know, to think of lines and so forth? But right, right, so, yeah. So how how do you, uh, you know how do you work? Well, I'm not one of these um, really. Um, um, I can't even think of the word because I'm not that. <laughs> I'm not someone at eight o'clock in the morning. I sit right. down and I work for three hours. Right, you're not Ernest Hemingway sitting. I am standing definitely there. not. Right, it's right. like I'm. Um, I'm going out to get the newspaper on the front lawn, and something catches my eye, and I, I get a first line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to be that kind of a writer. Something happens. It jogs me. Right. Um, it'll be the idea of the poem, but more often than not, it's a word or a line. Um, yeah, one of the things you mentioned. Go ahead. Mm. 
No, I was, I was just going to say, interestingly, driving. Mm. I get lots of ideas when I'm driving, just going past trees or on a winding road, suddenly, um, oh, yes. And so there I am grabbing and trying to write it down while I'm driving the car. So I now have a little um, recorder so that I don't run off the road and kill myself. You started to ask me something. No, no. I think I was going to ask you about that. Those different moments. I think that, I think it is true, especially uh, as you've told me about in poetry, where, um, you know, we were talking about the differences between, you know, poetry and prose, and, mm-hmm. and just, mm-hmm. you know, the the language of poetry deriving to certain is the essence of the language, you know. Yes. Yes. So you really have to grab those moments when you get those inspirations. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes it can be one word or one phrase that sets you going. Now, I I write free verse, which means it's not it's not a form of poetry. It's not a, a sonnet or a or a obviously I won't think of a darn thing. But um it's not formal. It doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to have a certain number of syllables. No iambic pentameter. No, no. iambic pentameter. Right. Um, it, and obviously, I took a couple of classes. I took a wonderful class over at LIU, and um, which was kind of a survey course, uh, opened up a lot of you know, 18th century poetry, 17th century poetry, where things started, how it, so from an intellectual point of view, or, um, you know, I absorbed some of that, although I'm, I'm not really a scholar. I'm mm-hmm. not a scholar. The fact that I teach a class of adults, sometimes I wonder when they're going to say, you know, Ev, you don't really know a lot, do you? <laughs> but they haven't said it yet, so I must be doing okay. Um well, I think that sometimes, you know, uh, your, your your style, though, is, you know, as you, I know, I mentioned you, you teach a, a workshop and plain talk about poetry. But right, I think that's right. one of the reasons people enjoy your classes is that you're willing to critique, but you're willing to support. Oh, definitely. Poetry is, a, is can be an intimidated kind of thing and, and can be kind of, a, a, you know, elitist perspective. And I yes. don't get that from you at all. No. No, um, the group that um, that I teach, and I actually have been teaching it for twelve years um, at um, Great Neck um, mm-hmm. Adult Center. Um, it's a critique group, not a criticism group. Um, I give them weekly prompts, and they either use that prompt or what they want to write. That it, you know, I don't consider that it has to be mine. And um, when we met live, in live, we all had a copy of, the, of each other's poems, and we, it would be read by the poet, and it would be discussed, and mm-hmm. suggestions would be made. And I was very, very clear from the get-go, and with some earlier classes, it was a little difficult this is not to prove that you know more than that person in the class. So you're going to show off a bit showing how you would change it. So it would be much better. Mm -hmm. And um, nobody should be humiliated in a class of mine and nobody is. And the reason I know I'm succeeding 
is because the poems that are being written by my group now, many of whom have been with me for 10 of the 12 years, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are deeper and more personal and more open, more vulnerable. You will not be vulnerable if you're in a group that you're a little bit afraid somebody is going to say, oh, I can't believe you said that. Mm. Um, That never happens. I mean, it just never, it's past that. It never happens. And um, with the pandemic, interestingly, Mm -hmm. which was horrible and we had to Zoom and everything, the class got closer and Mm. more intimate because it was kind of one of the only things you got to do everything else you were like hiding in the house right so um yeah yeah i think one of the things you mentioned too that i found interesting in one of our previous conversations was that you know just the nature of poetry and that it's sort of you know dual sensory is that it's both visual and auditory yes and that you know that the the way it looks and the way it reads and the way it sounds are all components that you think about Right, exactly. Um, I'm very strong um, with the idea of the visual, mm-hmm. I guess, because I had, was a visual artist. Mm-hmm. What does it look like on the page? And contemporary poet, uh, poets um, actually do this a great deal, where it's not an, a neat four stanzas kind of thing that kind of run all over the page. So there is the visual aspect because you can um, help the flow of the reading by how you're placing the lines and the words. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely there's that aspect. And then, and then there is the rhythm. Now, I don't tend to rhyme very much, although I admire... Um, and a, a poet, Kay Ryan, who was a poet laureate mm-hmm. from California, she does inner rhymes. That means when you think about poem rhyming, you think it rhyming for the end, the end word. Right. She will rhyme the end word with something three lines down in the middle of the poem. Hmm. And um, what it does is it just moves your eyes right down through it you know Mm -hmm. and then you're suddenly wait a minute that rhymes with that back four lines um so i i like that and and i love to play with metaphors and play with sounds of of words um twisting them a little bit um yeah so why don't we then just take a, a shift now and why don't if you don't mind um just read one of your poems to give the audience a sense of uh oh okay All right. I just happen to have 15 (laughs) poems here. All right. Um, This is called Imagine That. Hmm. And it basically is telling the story about during the pandemic where you just were so busy trying to figure up things to do. Um, And so this is what I found. I'm drowning in a sea of too much busyness, of futile dizziness engulfing me with data-driven entries on a calendar listing every other Tuesday, first and fourth Wednesdays, and once a month engagements 
ending with a potpourri of poetic confusion. This fusion of creativity is divided by lividity brought on by too muchness of touch on too many lives in too many different places. While at home, the neediness of illness waits, leaning on a wall, frowning, not at all interested in these dates written on a calendar on that same wall. Is there a rule that rules the slide of fools down a slope becoming faster than they can master? Eventually, to ask what to do to stop, to pause, to remember. Walking on soft grass in a bower of trees as something quite ordinary, an everyday event to remember what soft music was like on a misty morning when all the harried hurrying was in a future they could not have imagined then. Imagine that. Um, very nice. Very nice. It's always nice, too, when someone's good at reading their poetry. <laughs> yes. There's some very fine poets that read dreadfully. Like, you know, like they're, it's a, a shopping list, you know. This mm. is my poem now, and this is the end of it. Right. Do I have to read it? To you? <laughs> yes, yes, right. But right. I think that's that's part of the experience, I think, you know. Of course. Um, and I think that, you know, certainly – even in my prose, I think there are times when I go, well, let me just read this aloud yes. and see how this flows. And exactly. Goes. Where are the exactly. words connecting and where are they clunking? Um, That's one of the advice I give my students. Read your poems aloud. because And, and read other people's poems aloud. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you'll read a poem and go, I don't know what they're talking about. But if you read it out loud, uh, suddenly it starts to make sense. You know, mm. you pause and then you start up again. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, so, uh, and I know you, you write a lot of different kinds of poems. And, yes. And, and uh, some are somber, some are reflective, and some are humorous, too. They're, they're you know, you have a, a lightness to your touch that's that's refreshing, I find. It's Well, uh, I see humor in many things <laughs> that other people don't see. I mean, I, I've, I seem to write a lot of things about technology, mm -hmm. uh, about computers. Um, I, I consider the computer my enemy. Um, <laughs> that it that inside somewhere there's an elf that's um, you know, or a troll that's saying, <laughs> "Watch what I do here when she right. pushes this button." Um, but yes, I do. Um, I also I do write about nature. Mm -hmm. um, but when I write about nature, it's quite personal. Mm -hmm. uh, my po First of all, I believe very strongly about one thing. You should be able to understand a poem. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, some contemporary poetry, um, I have no patience for. Mm -hmm. It's like whatever they're writing about, they should be writing in it in journal because they they're not reaching out to their reader. Right. They are talking to their belly button. Mm -hmm. And um, so I do want my poetry to be um, plain talk, 
plane right. talk. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is funny. Uh, I just, I'm just a humorous person. So um, I, I find a lot of things are funny. Mm-hmm. Now, um, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, uh, I want you to read one of your, another one of your poems. I'm not sure we have enough time before we need to take a quick break, but, um, okay. uh, but uh, uh, we're going to do that shortly. But okay. um, I want you to just mention that, that, yeah, I know that you have quite a variety of poems. So we may have time for a couple more, uh, okay. but in the meantime, uh, just tell me a little bit about, you know, how do you become a, a poet laureate? What does that mean? Um, how do you do that? Well, um, uh, now if I was, um, if I was uh, being considered for poet laureate of the United States, um, the American, um, uh, um, Academy of, uh, of poetry, uh, poets would be sifting through, uh, poems that were pretty well known and right. on the scene. And, um, uh, here in the county, on the county level, state level, state level, I understand that the the um, governor is the one that presents it. Mm-hmm. But obviously, the governor probably knows nothing about poetry. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is the research um, group, right. you right. know, of poets. Right. Right. Nassau, um, uh, actually, there is a um, Nassau County Poet Laureate right. Society, and the, uh, the poets who are very fine poets in that um, organization, um, they are the ones who put out a call okay. to the poetry community. People okay. send in right. um, recommendations that they think of somebody. Okay, hold on a second. We're, we're gonna we're gonna Wait. Uh, take, we're gonna take another quick break, but um, okay. we're gonna pick up that story about the. Finishing up on Poet Laureates. Okay. And then uh, we'll continue with our conversation with your poets. Okay. Poetry itself. So don't go away, folks. We'll be back with much more from Evelyn Candell. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're here with Evelyn Candell, a poet laureate. And before the break, we were just talking about how one becomes a poet laureate. And we were down. We were explaining at the national level and the state level, right? The county level. So and the county were, level. Right. Yeah. So that's Nassau. Suffolk actually, um, their um, um, 
let's see, a county county legislature mm-hmm. uh, is involved. But again, it's you know, it's the group of uh, poets uh, who come up with some names and say we think this person will be good, and then they get to make the announcement. Right. Um, and is this true across the country? Basically, a different you know each state, and I mean maybe different know. procedures, but probably I don't know. But there are laureates at, at different levels. Different levels, yes. And it's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, somebody I found or found when I first was named Poet Laureate. And you you know, your job, you don't get paid. Um, but, well, unless you're reading somewhere that has a, has a you know, give you a couple shekels. But um, your job is to spread poetry. Mm-hmm. And you spread poetry by going into schools, um, going into libraries and doing readings, um, um, get yourself published, um, just anything. So uh, you're judged with the quality of your work, first of all. It has to be good, and everybody has to agree that it stands the test. And But then there's an aspect of being outgoing enough that you're going to put yourself forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and for instance, I live in Glen Cove. And so I went to the library and I um, I talked to the librarian, the children's library. Mm-hmm. And um, she, didn't, she wasn't too interested, but she said the librarian who was uh, uh, working with um, – uh, people, uh, you know, Spanish speaking and so mm-hmm. on, that maybe she would have something. Mm-hmm. And so then I did wind up teaching a class mm-hmm. um, in the library. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak. Um, oh, so just this kind of funny aspect of being sure. poet laureate, you feel very proud of yourself and you're constantly kind of fitting it into <laughs> A conversation. Oh, by the way, uh, I happen to be Nassau County Poet Laureate, and I would get this blank look. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? And then, what's a laureate? Mm-hmm. So, of course, I had to research it. It goes back to Greek and Roman times, and and they had poets at the time, mm-hmm. and they also had laurel trees mm-hmm. that they attributed to have some kind of a powerful help to them in, you know, uh, in uh, wartime and so on, so that with their poets, they would take the leaves of the laurel tree Mm -hmm. and make a crown. So therefore, they crowned them with laurels. And um, and, uh, so that's where Poet Laureate comes from. I think that people don't, you know, usually think of crowning warriors with laurels, but uh, I think that we don't uh, recognize that these were different kinds of heroes, but were recognized nonetheless, you know, well, going back well to look at our times. medals, look mm-hmm. at our medals that we give to. So uh, the, um, I guess the ancient Greeks didn't have any medals. So they gave them leaves because they had a lot of leaves. <laughs> All right. I did find, I did find the poem. Okay. Well then, All right. So what, what's the name of this poem? Okay. If only if only okay okay if only i were 30 and at least had purple hair if only i were funky so that at least someone stared things would be different i could celebrate being in if only i were blogging at least presented on youtube 
if only I were edgy and indifferent with a contemptuous attitude. If only my poems were posted on the web, filled with lines so fun and flirty, even a tiny bit dirty. If only I was 30. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yep. As opposed to uh, when I was growing up, when, of course, one of the phrases was what? You know, don't trust anyone over 30. Anyone over 30. <laughs> oh, exactly. Right. Oh, my gosh. Right. Well, I think that one of the things is that, you know, that, that you were, as you were talking before about, um, you know, spreading poetry, I think that's, that's a noble um, goal, desire, yeah. because I think that yeah. that's something that, you know, so I, I think it is something we, that, um, you know, we, we get exposed to when we're, we're small, you know, right. and, right. and we, right. you know, I, I remember, you know, in elementary school going back to, and then, you know, okay, the teacher said, okay, write your, write your mom, a, you know, a Mother's Day poem, you know, yeah. so we'd, yeah. we'd look for little rhymes and stuff like right. that, and you'd be successful. But then as you get on, it's, it's, it becomes something that is almost uh, taught as not, it's not accessible. I think most people don't, I mean, if you said to most adults, when was the last time you heard a poem? Yeah. I think the last time we, we the only times we, we uh, hear poems in public life are inaugur inaugurations, right? Yes, yes. At the Biden yeah. inauguration. Yet, And how many exactly. people commented about the poem? Like, wow. Yes. Wasn't it she good? Wasn't she wonderful? Yeah. Yes. It's a shame. Um a, a, a comment went through my head and went out the other side. Um, uh, oh, uh, the um, the class um, or the workshop, Plain mm -hmm. Talk About Poetry, right. came out of that. Myself and two friends uh, start talking about, it. you know, it's a shame when someone says, oh, so what do you do? If you say I'm a poet, they go, oh, really? Like you just said, I don't know what. I'm a garbage collector or something, <laughs> you know. Um, they don't quite know what to say about it. So we put together um, a workshop, plain talk about poetry. It was exactly mm -hmm. that. It was reading poems of other poets, always accessible. And then our, <clears throat> excuse me, our own poems. And, um, and then they had a chance themselves to, as as you cited a teacher saying, you know, mm. write a poem um, with, you know, um, some talk about uh, what some forms were, uh, are, and uh, the difference between a formal poem and, a, you know, a uh, free write or mm -hmm. free. Um, um, free verse, right? Free verse, yes. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and um, so I... They liked it. Um, mm -hmm. There were some libraries that liked it so much. They said, well, oh, do you have another? You know, do you have it? So right. we started pretty soon. I think we wound up with about six different. One was plain talk about um, uh, love poems, you know, oh. and plain talk about writing, about paintings, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a form of poetry. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very exciting. We did it for a couple of years. And, um, you know, we just, we got tired, I guess. Yeah, um, we, um, uh, so I, I think I answered yeah. Um, yeah. about, 
you know, what what I'm supposed to do. Well, when the pandemic came, Mm -hmm. uh, that just pretty much eliminated uh, any kind of reaching out. Finally, um, different libraries and stuff started to do Zooming. So I did do a free a couple of readings that way. But that is so different. Right. Um, That is. yeah. yeah, but I think that you started to mention earlier, though, too, that I think it, the, the, to the extent that you could maintain that group, I guess it was a Thursday group you mentioned me, that yes. it became really valuable to people as an. As- oh, yeah. I mean, really, um, I think we came together, you know, talk about a band of brothers and band of sisters. Yeah. Uh, it, really, it, it's a mixed group. Um, of women and men. Uh, mm-hmm. The youngest is 68 and the oldest is 98. Wow. And uh, they're all uh, educated, retired, um, and really great poets. They really are good. Mm-hmm. And, but personally, we pull together. We're so grateful for that time, mm-hmm. uh, two hours in which we're just wow. involved with one another and um, reading something. Uh, that's close to all all of us. I mean, we're all poets, mm-hmm. and um, they get better and better, better as I say. Right. And uh, and so, who who are some of your other favorite poets that you like to listen to, either just for inspiration or just right, because you like right. them, you, you admire their work? Well, I I did mention to you that kind of the first poet that I heard on the radio probably was on WQXR, and um, it was Billy. Billy Collins, mm-hmm. and he was reading a poem that he had written about forgetfulness, huh. and it was hysterical. I mean, you know, more it's more true of me now, but it, even then, we all know you read a book and somebody says, oh, did you read such and such? Yeah. How did you like it? Uh, it was good. <laughs> what was it about? Uh, well, I don't quite remember exactly, uh, but who's the author? Oh, the author. So Billy Collins wrote this hysterical poem about the first thing to go is the plot. Then (laughs) it's the title and then the author. And then you don't remember it at all. Anyway, so I said, oh, that was great. I wound up taking a workshop with him, Mm -hmm. uh, which was very, very interesting out on the island. Um, But um, uh, I have a few that I particularly like. I like a... a, um, I mentioned her earlier, um, Kay Ryan, mm-hmm. a, a California uh, um, poet. Mm-hmm. She was poet laureate, national poet laureate. Mm-hmm. I like her work because her, her poems are short, and mine tend to be fairly short also. And she plays, she plays with inner rhymes, uh, and there's right. always a great rhythm right. to her work right. so that you it just brings you, as soon as you start to read, it brings you through to the end. Right. right. So she's a favorite. And Billy Collins. Um, uh, I think you mentioned uh, me, uh, well, one of my favorites, too, is uh, Mary Oliver. Oh, Mary Oliver. Amazing. Just an amazing, uh, I mean, she, very, very spiritual, a very mm-hmm. spiritual woman. And her attention to nature is just unreal. I mean, the, what she writes. Uh, yes, I, I think she's probably almost everybody's favorite. She's, yeah. she's a beautiful poet, a beautiful poet. Um, 
and and there are um you know there are there are poets that you know you go back a, a century and you read mm-hmm. keats and you and you read the uh, um, you know the romantic poets. The romantic poets, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they, I'm not sitting and reading them every night before bed, but um, they also, quite honestly, um, uh, Billy Collins has a wonderful um, philosophy, and he says, "Of course, poets steal. Huh. We all steal from one another. You know, it's um, the test is if you." Do a good job in using it. <laughs> and um, so, you know, if it's only one line, you don't even have to give credit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once you start taking in a whole stanza, then you do have to mention it belongs to someone else. Right. Yeah, I think, well, there's certainly a lot of uh, questions about how much Shakespeare originated versus how much he borrowed. and Borrowed, re- yes. As, as we, the word has repurposed. You know? <laughs> repurposed, yes. Right. right, exactly, right. Right. exactly. Um, I always read, I have to tell you, one of my big sources, um, because I do have an ill husband, and I'm a caregiver, and, um, I, you know, just sitting down with the paper on Sunday and reading all day, goodbye mm-hmm. to that, Charlie, that's mm-hmm. over. But um, I always read the magazine section, mm-hmm. and the poem, there's always a poem in it, mm-hmm. and uh, chosen by another poet. Mm-hmm. And I keep saying, one of these days, I'm going to send in one of my poems right um and we'll see if i get to do that Um, and some of them are unreadable Mm -hmm. uh, but i think it's important because they are contemporary poets and you need to know right people are writing right so that's the new york times magazine right yes yes Yes, new york times well unfortunately i we are coming to the end of our program which has been delightful evelyn wow (laughs) we could be talking forever yes we could we could (laughs) But we'll, we'll try to keep this poetic and make the okay. words count. So okay. I wanted to thank you very much for uh, uh, appearing and being a terrific guest and spurring such thought-provoking uh, conversation about poetry. Um, I want to tell people if they've missed our conversation today, you can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com or on my website, robellresources.com, and where you can also click on there and find out uh, – your email is on there, Evelyn. So if people have questions, it is. Yes. They, can, they can click on that. So folks, be sure to join me next week too for an encore presentation with Andrea Gould Marks on the meaning of friendship, which I think is becoming important to many of us during the pandemic. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.